speak this morning in keeping with where we've been studying and in keeping with the word of God in Psalms 19, 89 through 96 to stimulate us again to do God's will so that we may see his face in peace. I read on social media a story last week about somebody who discovered that they had a painting hanging in their kitchen, an old painting hanging in their kitchen that was worth $2.8 million. And they're walking around in the house and you know, I, I, that, that made me remember back in the day when I was growing up, my parents had some older pictures you know, of little boats or whatever the case may be, but you could tell from looking at it that it was old, old. You know, and when I read about stuff like that, I go to thinking about, my Lord, I wonder if we had some pictures in our house that we took for granted that were worth that kind of money. Grandma had old sewing machines, those old singer sewing machines. And when we look around the house, we often find things that are of value but we walk by them every day not knowing how valuable they are. It also made me think about the word of God. Lord have mercy, we have this in the kitchen, in the bedroom, in the den, one in the car, and some have not yet recognized the value of it. These things written in here supersede $2.8 million and have within them the directions from earth to glory. And I just thought about how sad it is that people are walking past such a valuable commodity as this every day. I want to submit to you this morning a couple of thoughts about the fact that God's word has been signed, sealed, and delivered and that he has left it here for us for a particular reason, not to be read as leisure activity, but to be read as required activity for Christians. To that end, I want to direct your attention again this morning to the Acts, uh, 17th chapter of the book of Acts, which is where we are up to in our study of Acts now. And I want to look particularly in that chapter at verses 10 and 11, which will occupy some of our time this morning, and then a couple of other verses in Acts that will help us to get to the uh, goal of the message this morning. I want you to look at verses 10 and 11, while of course Paul and Silas had come through Thessalonica. And the scripture says that when they got to, uh, to Thessalonica, they met with some difficulty because everybody's not concerned about hearing the word of God. But the scripture says that then the brethren immediately after this ruckus at Jason's house, Paul and Silas uh, were sent away by night. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And of course, now they have left Thessalonica and gone to Berea. And it says regarding those at Berea that they were more fair-minded. The King James says noble-minded. They were more noble 
the new King James says they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, these two passages, these two scriptures really describe for us two groups that were existing at that time that Paul and Silas had to deal with. It identifies those who hear the word of God, get angry about it, and then cause trouble. And the other indicates a group who hear the word of God and study the scriptures to confirm that what was said was the truth. Of course, we know that the latter group was the, were the Bereans and the former group were the Thessalonians. I think that when we put that together with some other passages in Acts, we'll have the substance of our lesson for today. Turn with me while we're there in Acts to chapter 14. And let's look particularly at verses 21 and 22. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. We find Paul and Barnabas, who were around the areas of Lystra and Iconium and Derbe, and they were preaching the word of God. And the scripture says in verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. I want to continue by asking you to follow me to the 15th chapter. And let's look particularly at verses 36 and 41. 36 and 41 of Acts chapter 15. Verse number 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. I want to talk this morning about the, the infallibility of the word of God and how it is used not only to plant, but to water. One of the most important, and for me, one of the most encouraging events at the end of the missionary journeys that Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas were involved in, they went back to the established congregations in each city they had visited because even though there were problems, there were some folk there who believed. In every city, some cities more than others believed, but there was always some level of, of, of belief from some of the folk in the city. And as a result of that, a congregation of the Lord's people was started. Right. 
as a result of the preaching of Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. They may have left small churches in some places and large churches in others, but it seems that from the study of the record that when the, the, the church of our Lord had its initial beginning, there was one church in each city. And they worshiped together in that city. We've changed from that now, and now we may have upwards of 20 congregations in one city. You can understand from a logistical standpoint how the earlier church may have been more successful simply because they were all meeting together in one place. Rather than being scattered all over the city with a handful here and a handful there, when we probably would be better off pooling our resources and being a one vibrant city church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that's where it started out. It has come a long way since then. But it's amazing to me and it's important to me and it ought to be encouraging to us that one of the things that the disciples were concerned about was not simply the planning of churches, but the watering of churches. Now, Paul said some water, some plant, some water, and some, but God gives the increase. But Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas were men who planted and watered. Everybody doesn't do that. But those who do have the possibility and the talents of doing that, God set them on their way and they followed it. So they went back to these congregations and strengthened them and went back to check on them to see how they were doing. Now, when he could no longer visit, when he could no longer visit them, he wrote them letters. And we have those letters today. So the watering that he did with them is still available for us today. And it's imperative that we don't have an evangelist who comes back periodically to check on us, but we're here to check on each other and to strengthen one another. That is our example. Sometimes Paul wrote congratulating the church as he did with Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul wrote them back saying, keep on encouraging one another, even as you're doing. You're doing something good in encouraging each other and building each other up. Keep on doing that. But all of his letters weren't congratulatory. Sometimes his letters rebuked, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5, where he reminded the Christians at Corinth that they had gone into a level of sin that was not even named among the heathen. Paul says, in that a man has his father's wife, not his mother, but the stepmother. A man has his father's wife, and y'all ought to be ashamed because that's not even being done among people you call heathen. And then he went on to say to them as he rebuked them, and those of you around him are, are puffed up. You're not angry that this is going on. You don't have any concern that this is going on, but rather you puffed up. You bragging that the situation exists. Paul said, I'll tell you what you need to do. 
You need to give him over to Satan so that his soul can be saved in the end. That was his way of saying, you need to do something about this situation. Don't just let it build and build and build in the church. And oftentimes we see things building and nobody has the courage to address what they know is not good. But rather we walk around, sometimes our heads are in the air and we don't even know what's going on. The only way you can walk around and not know what's going on is you don't want to know. Because there is an elephant in the room. And that elephant is many times the lack of encouragement, the lack of us, we're still waiting for somebody to come and remind us of what we've been taught. But that person is already here in the person of myself and every member of this congregation. Do you know that you have the responsibility to not live to yourself? That you're not in this alone? That you have the responsibility to encourage somebody just as you want to be encouraged? Now, I know there are those of us here with a phony sense of all rightness who think they don't need any encouragement. I want to see that person. If you think you can do all things by yourself, who are you? The Lord put us here for each other. And that's what Paul is teaching in his effort to go back, not forgetting those churches. He's not just satisfied with the fact that he planted a church. Paul said, I'm going to do what's even more important. I'm going to go back and check on them and see how they're doing. Is it all right for us to check on each other and see how we're doing? Is it all right for us to encourage one another to be better today than we were yesterday? Or is it simply our right to, to, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, not being concerned about your fellow man, especially those who are in the body of Christ? Sometimes Paul wrote them and he rebuked them. Sometimes he encouraged them. Sometimes it was simply a matter of encouragement. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, Paul encourages the churches who were giving to the saints of Jerusalem, those who were poor, those who were being scattered because they were being persecuted. The other churches chimed in and helped them. And Paul says concerning the Macedonians, he says in chapter 8, he says, brothers, I'm writing you about the Macedonians who are a different breed of people. Because even in their extreme poverty, they found a way to be liberal because of the grace of God. Sometimes we get on our soapboxes and we talk about woe is me and what we don't have and what I wish I had. But for every story like that, there is somebody who will take your hand in a, mid, in a minute. No matter how bad it seems, there's somebody who will take your hand and play it. So what does that say for us? That things are always, could always be worse than they are. He said the key to these Macedonians giving so liberally was that they first gave themselves. Paul said in essence, they surprised us. They didn't just give what they had in their pockets. They first gave themselves. 
I'm not only willing to give my money, I'm willing to give me to the effort. And they, Paul says they implored us. They begged us to come and get the offering that they had taken up. Paul says, I commend them to you. My prayer is that you will act the same way they did. Well, you know that's still available to us today. That hasn't gone out of style. The same passage that spoke to the, 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 the Macedonians, those who were in uh, Philippi, those who were in Thessalonica, wherever they were, speaks to us today. Sometimes the teaching, sometimes the letters taught, as in Galatians 1, 6 through 8, where Paul talked to the, uh, to the Galatian Christians about the fact that they had left the gospel for something else that they thought was the gospel. False doctrine. And he said in verse 6, I marvel. I'm surprised that you are so soon removed. Remember, some of these churches were six months old. Some were less than a year old. And he said to them after he left, when he went back, he said, I, I marvel that you're so soon removed. I was just there with you. And as soon as I walked out the door, some of you are already entertaining what you think is a new gospel. He says, which is no new gospel at all. But there are some out there who will trouble you and would pervert the word of God. And he said, anybody, whether a man you know or an angel from heaven that you don't know, if they come to you preaching something different than what's in this book, you let him be a curse. Anything that you're taught that is not based in scripture, let him be a curse. No good for us. I want to ask you this morning, how often when you have difficulties or when you need encouragement, do you turn to this? Sometimes we turn to our own thinking. When those in Thessalonica heard the word, the Bible doesn't say anything about them considering scripture. You know what they did when they heard it? They said, now, nah, let's see how that sounds to us. No, nah, that doesn't sound right. Based on no scripture, that's why Paul says those in Berea were more noble because once he had preached to them, they got in the book every day. They only had the old law. But they compared what Paul was saying to the old law to make sure that what he was saying was correct. Now people sit up and they let us preach and nobody cares to say too much. Sometimes when we have questions, we leave with those questions. Don't ask anybody anything. Don't come to me and say, Brother Anthony, you said this or you said that, and I don't understand that. Will you help me out with that? We just go home and talk about it. Did you hear what he said? He gave the wrong passage this morning. Well, why don't you say something? Or are you just content being critical? Paul says, I went back to check on the churches to see how they were doing. I told you once before, if, if, there, if it were possible, I believe that some people would add an 11th commandment to the 10 God has left us. And it would sound something like this. Thou shalt feel free to alter and or change 
or ignore any word or sentence or passage or concept in the foregoing commandments when they don't agree with your agenda. That's the 11th commandment for some folk. I know what the book says, but I got an 11th commandment which gives me a right to add an addendum to each commandment God has given us. Obviously, this is not a godly commandment. This is a, a commandment devised by men. But I, invi I advise you today to avoid it, to avoid false doctrine like the plague because it is quite prevalent among people today and is easily contracted. Don't believe what people say. Don't believe just what comes out of folk's mouth. Make folk prove stuff to you. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. But you can't hold anybody to proving anything if you're not familiar with this book. No amount of teaching alone is going to do it. You got to get in here for yourself. And so Paul took this message and this infallible word of God and he took it to those who were in need. Now I want to remind you that no matter what changes we make to it, either in print or in our minds. It doesn't change the fact that God's word is sealed forever. It's, it's, it's like the, the trial of somebody who is a juvenile offender. Their trial record is sealed. The word of God has been sealed. And once it is sealed, it cannot be reopened. It's been sealed. Now, not only has it been sealed, God's word has been written, signed by God, according to 2 Peter. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 21, that the word of God is of no private interpretation, but that holy men of God read and wrote what they were given by the inspiration of God. So the word has been signed by God. It's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and the fourth chapter, verse 30, talk about the Spirit being the guarantee. It's the seal that we indeed are the children of God. And then it's been delivered Paul says in Romans 6, 17, to the saints. The same gospel they received back then has been delivered to the saints even today. And we are the proud owners, each of us, of the final transcript of the word of God. You know how powerful and important this is? Everything we deal with, we ought to be getting our answers from this. Every Christian, no matter what you're dealing with, if you're looking for a job, you ought to be relying on God. If you're looking to finish school, you ought to be relying on God. If you're looking to raise a family, if you're looking for a husband or a wife, you ought to be relying on God. And that's what Paul went back and taught these folk as he watered the church. And then we find specific scriptures that are designed for specific individuals or groups of individuals. Consider this. 
We can't escape our responsibility to God's commands because God's commands are directed to all men. There are commands directed to all of us at every stage of our development, from babes in Christ until we're mature and even until we die. There are passages that are there for you. Let me just run through a few of them this morning. In Romans chapter 1, for instance, verses 16 through 20, and Romans chapter 2, verse 14, those passages are directed to those who should know God and those who have become a law unto themselves because they have not the law, but do by nature the things contained in the law. There's some things that we do that are just natural to us. We don't even realize that they're contained in the law. And when that's the case, we've really become a law unto ourselves. Because the Bible says to us, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And then you have those passages, like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We have those passages that are erected to those who are babes, who should have grown up. But because they had not, they were causing divisions in the church and choosing one preacher over another. And then we have passages like uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, which is directed to the newborn babes in the church who are commanded to desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. There are passages like Romans 15, verse 1. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, which are directed to the mature, to the mature in the church. And listen to what the scriptures direct them to do. The stronger members of the body. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Didn't say criticize them. It didn't say put your foot on their neck while they weep. What it says is bear with their infirmities. That means tolerate. When you bear with somebody, you tolerate. What is your toleration level for members? You know, is it at a high or is it a low? Some people have a low tolerance for Christians. And they'll say to you in a minute, give me Jesus, but these folk, Lord have mercy. I don't need them. I believe in Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, but I don't like some of the folk down there. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You really don't have a right to not like anybody. You don't have that right. You didn't make anybody. You don't sustain them from one day to the next. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, if you're more concerned about other folk than you are me, you're not worthy of me. Don't let anybody here stand in the way of you going to heaven. I'm going to say that again. Nobody here is important enough for you to lose your soul over. I don't know anybody like that. I don't care how long they've been in the church. I don't care what position they hold. I don't care how much influence they have. Don't let anybody, including me, if you get mad with me, come and tell me you're mad with me. That's what Paul taught them when he went back, see, strengthening the church. He was telling them things that they needed to do in order to remain strong. 
as a church. Encourage one another. But these specific things to certain members. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, Lord have mercy. When a brother has been overtaken in a fault, who are the spiritual who are going to minister to him? Somebody's got to be here. We then that are strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak and we many times point to other folk. That's your job. You bear with my infirmities. And I got plenty of infirmities. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like the other. Bear with my infirmities. If you strong, don't ignore me. And then if a man is overtaken in the fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. What in the spirit of meekness? How do you restore somebody in the spirit of meekness? Well, I tell you what you don't do. You don't go to them saying, I'm so surprised that you still are doing that. How long have you been in the church, babe? That's not in meekness. Meekness, he goes on to tell us what it is. Considering yourself. See, once you look at yourself, it's hard not to be meek. Once you consider that, you know what, I'm getting ready to criticize somebody for doing the same thing I'm doing. It's just that nobody knows I'm doing it, but they know he's doing it. And I'm jumping in line with them, saying, yeah, let's burn him. But Jesus said to those who accused that woman, the one of you who is without sin, you cast the first stone. So every time you think about criticizing, remember those words from Jesus. Let the one of you who is without sin hit him first. I'm going to give you a right to hit him. I'm going to give you leeway to hit him. But before you do, consider yourself. And see, if you can come out of a consideration of yourself with no meekness, then you are proud beyond what you ought to be. Every time you look at you in the mirror, you ought not walk away saying, I'm a bad mamma jamma. Sometimes you ought to walk away saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. If nobody knows that you do, so the Bible says, then those who have come to admit, them, admit that to themselves are in a better position to help those who are involved. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, is directed to those who are older in age and in the faith. So if you're a senior citizen in the body of Christ, the Bible says that when Paul went back to nurture and to strengthen these congregations, these are the kind of things he was telling them. In Rome and Galatia and Ephesians, Philippi, Philippi and Colossae, these are the kind of things he was telling them. Look, when you get old, there is still work for you to do. And the fact that we are old and our, our, our bodies are wearing thin on us, Lord knows, I know, doesn't take away the responsibility you have to reach out to younger members who may be 50 and 40 and 60. They may be the younger ones under you that you need to be nurturing. 
nurturing, strengthening, looking at. And you all are looking at me this morning like, Lord, have mercy. Like I'm talking to a bunch of strangers. But I'm just going to preach it and sit down because I, I can't help but tell the truth. There are some folk who've gotten old in the church and think that they can just lay down everything they've ever been taught. When that is probably one of the most productive periods of your life. If anybody can tell younger folk about what to expect out of the world and out of the church, it's the older folk. And yet it's the older folk. You wonder why young folk going crazy? Old folk ain't teaching them. That's the reason our young men are going crazy because our older men haven't taken an interest in them. Or the older men are too busy trying to pimp like they are. The older women. Don't forget about the younger women. But we can talk about them when they have a baby out of wedlock. Part of that may be your fault. Because we see them walking around here and we see how they walk around here and nobody takes a turn to say anything to them. Both just go over to the corner and say, you see that? We good for saying that kind of stuff. You see that? It's time to get away from asking questions to directing and helping people to learn. Otherwise, we're going to see the same problems in the church for the duration. But this word is sealed in heaven. I want to remind you as well that 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 is directed to those at the end of life and is a testimony of a life well lived and the impending reward for the faithful. Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand, as he wrote to Timothy. And of course, he was teaching Timothy and Titus how to do the same thing he had been doing. But at the end of his life, he said to, to Timothy, he says, you know, the time of my departure is at hand. And when he looked back at his life, he says, I fought a good fight. Everything considered, I fought a good fight. He says, I've finished my course. I kept the faith. And henceforth, there's a crown laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only, but to everyone who loves his appearance. Have you ever experienced a contest and then you get at the end and they tell you you disqualified. You're in a meet and you're in a track race. And somewhere along the line, you got out of your lane into somebody else's lane and you go on to win the race and they meet you there and say, you've been disqualified. But you've been struggling and, and as people pulled up on you, you pulled away from them. And then you hit the tape and you over there celebrating. Well, that's the way some folk are with this. You're busy celebrating. But did you stay in your lane? Paul says, I fought a good fight. I ran the course the way it ought to be run. And as a result, I got a crown laid up. I, I've heard people say a lot of things on their deathbed. But I don't think I witnessed anybody saying, I fought a good fight. 
with that kind of assurance. You hear people saying, I hope everything is all right. I feel good. I feel all right about my relationship with God. I'm ready to go. But you don't hear them say, I fought a good fight. I'm not confused about the fact. I didn't jump in and out and in and out. I didn't get in this lane and that lane. I thought what the Lord gave me to do, I've done. And I've done it well. I kept the faith. I didn't let anything that I dealt with change my faith in God. And he said, I'm ready to be offered. I'm being poured out like a drink offering and it's all right with me. Because at the end of his life, he could see not just the pain he had endured, but the crown that was waiting. Paul said men who run in a physical race run for a crown that will fade away. See. But the crown that we're going for is one that won't fade away. So... As I end this morning, let me say this. Probably one of the greatest challenges we face daily is the struggle to not go back to who we used to be. Would you agree with that? Oh, that's a struggle, isn't it? Every day we live, somebody tries to get us to go back to who we used to be. You know us the way we used to be. Well, the devil is trying to get us to go back to that. So, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting to you that we forget who we were. I don't think the Bible requires that of us. It requires that we remember that we are sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Lord died for us even while we were sinners. Gave himself for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul says, and such were some of you, as he talked about the sins that are listed in verse number 10. And, and what we want to take away from this is that we don't need to close the door on who we used to be. Leave it cracked so every now and then we can look back in there and remind ourselves how far we have been brought from who we used to be. Because we used to be real ugly. But it doesn't make sense to be following the Lord and still be as ugly as we've always been. So the daily challenge is for us to keep the door of the past cracked just a little bit. So you can be reminded ever so often how far God has brought you. This doesn't suggest that we stay stuck on the past, or that we try to live in the past, but that we remain aware of how bad off we were and how much God has delivered us, to what degree he has delivered us. Now, I'm crazy enough to believe that if God could forgive Paul, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul identifies himself as the chief of sinners because he says, I persecuted the church. I'm the chief of sinners. I've sinned more than any. I've sinned worse than anybody. But if God will extend his grace to somebody like Saul of Tarsus, don't you know he'll extend it to us today? 
and make out of us something that we could never imagine we'd be doing. What we need to do is leave the door cracked so that we can see how far the Lord has brought us. Somebody has said if we forget the past, we're doomed to repeat it. If we forget who we are, we're doomed to become that person all over again. So I leave with you this thought this morning. Work out your own salvation, but be concerned about your brothers and sisters because that's a part of going to heaven. If you're here today, I want to remind you that God is not a respecter of persons. Therefore, he requires all men everywhere to repent. And he says, if we'll do that and be baptized based on our faith, we'll be on the road of salvation. If you don't want to be on that road, something's wrong with you. If you don't want to go to heaven, if you don't want to be saved, something is wrong. I know the God that we serve gives us an option, but you got to be out of your mind. There are some people who I've heard people say, I'll die and go to hell before I do that. Have you ever heard people make those kind of statements? I'll die and go to hell before I'll go back to her. <laughs> or before I'll go back to him. Or before I'll ask somebody to forgive me. Or before I will forgive somebody. I'll die and go to hell. I got news for you. Just die. God will take care of the rest. You don't have to go. He's going to send you there. That's not your choice. But that's how flippant people have become when we talk about heaven. It's stuff to joke about, not stuff to take seriously. But I guarantee you one day, <laughs> one day, somewhere, every one of us is going to fall down on our knees. The Bible says, and every tongue will confess. Every knee shall bow. That includes your crusty knees. You can do it at the judgment. Like that commercial says, you can pay him now. You can go on and fall down on your knees right now. Or you can fall down later. But it's better when you do it of your own accord. Than to be told. Get on your knees. The opportunity to do it on your own. Is right now. Come right now and take it. Come right now. Bend your knees.